I don't even like have you invite me onto the podcast anymore. I just tell you I'm coming on. I mean, we're doing fine. a thing. Sometimes I'm just have ideas, or I have <laughs> ideas, but like everyone else hasn't watched the anime. <laughs> Which is why you guys are all marathoning G Gundam right now. Uh, I mean, and we haven't been. We've just been watching a couple episodes per day most days. So. Well, Ink's gonna have to marathon it, isn't he? Yeah. So good luck with that, Ink. Welcome back to Monging Your Ears. My name is Corey. Helen and April are with me. Hi, everybody. And we are here to talk about manga. Let's start with B and only have one word <laughs> in the title. Yes, we did this on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were talking first about Buddha, because our old series and our new series will be B-Stars. Uh, but Buddha is a one of Tezuka's last work, or last epic manga works, uh, according to Wikipedia. Um it started in 1972 and ended in 1983. It is uh, 14 volumes in the Japanese, 8 for us, uh, released by Vertical several years ago. I don't think it's in print anymore, and I think they actually did hardcovers and softcovers. Uh, anyway, I have the hardcovers, but this is obviously about uh, Buddha or Siddhartha, the first book. Starts with a uh, slave named Chopra who works his way up. Uh, well, that doesn't work his way up. These there is a rigid caste system. You can't work your way up or down, or you can work your way down. You can't work your way up on these casks. But the Chopra saves a. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this, but it's spelled K S H A T R I Y A. Uh, I said like Kasatria in my head. I don't think that's right, but. Um, he saves a general, and then um, he convinces this general that he is a Ksatria war orphan. So he becomes a warrior himself, uh, and that is also where we meet this dude named Takta, who is a pariah that is lower than the slave, cla- slave cla- class. I don't know how to talk. Um, and they're, they're bugs at the beginning. And Takta ends up being a very important character throughout the rest of the series. Um, but it isn't until, like, the f- end of the first volume or beginning of the second volume that we even see Siddhartha at all, and you see his birth, uh, and by the second book, he is a, uh, child growing bored of the privileged life of a prince, um, going to the third book, he becomes the monk, he runs away from his life as a prince because he wants to learn more about life, learn, uh, more about what it means to be living and all sorts of things. And by the fourth book, he has reached enlightenment and become Buddha, and then from then on, it is, uh, actually Buddha's adventures instead of Siddhartha's adventures. But, um, I read the whole series. Um, I think, Helen, you said you had read the whole series several years ago. Yeah, going on, like, eight years ago or so. Yeah. I found it in the nonfiction comic section of my university library. <laughs> to be clear, like, they had, like, a non... They had nonfiction or, like, fiction, and then within it was, like, this small manga section or, like, comics with some manga squished in, and that's where I found it. Um, it was, like, you know how everyone goes through a period of their life when they're starting to get interested in, like, a new kind of genre of books or something? 
but the selection isn't really good out there, so you just end up reading like all the weird <laughs> shit because that's the only thing you have available to you. <laughs> this is the this was the story of my life with both manga and sci-fi on a totally different topic. But yeah, I remember reading this and I think a drifting life like really close in time to each other, and it was just sort of this: why are these big name mangaka big names? Like I don't get it. <laughs> Sorry, that is my tangent. Yes, Helen has read all of Buddha at one point. Uh, April, how much were you able to read? So this is one of the ones where it's a shame that uh, libraries aren't open right now because my library had a few of these volumes, but they have them out digitally. So I read a volume of it, and I'm not familiar with, like, besides, like, the very basics, I'm not familiar with, like, the story of Buddha or anything like that. So this was all, like, completely new to me in this first volume. Tezuka, like, really can't draw different-looking characters. Everybody looks the same. <laughs> I don't give a crap that he's got this star system going on where he just redraws the same faces in every series. No, he was just not very good at drawing distinct character designs. Yeah. And that sucks when you have a cast as big as the one in Buddha eventually becomes over the course of the whole series. Yep. Uh, thankfully, the some of the faces are distinct. Like, one of Buddha's closest uh, allies as a monk was named uh his name is Geppa. He uh as a uh display of his asceticism he burnt out his own eyes, so that is very distinct. Uh then two of the other ones that show up later, um what were their names? Uh Naragdakta, I believe. Nope, that's the wrong guy. Um Oh my gosh, there are so many people. They apparently only have them listed in Wikipedia, so I don't know what their names are. But the names of two of the other, or the faces of two of the other people are, like, very distinct. They has, one of them has, like, a fat, curvy face, and the other one is a taller person. And one of them has hair. Like, hair is a very easy way to make distinctions. You're, uh, not, just... you're not building a good case for this. The first character you mention is distinct because he yeah. literally doesn't have eyes. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, for the hair thing, I'm thinking, like, Buddhist monks usually shave their heads, so are we saying he's distinct because he actually has hair? Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. Um, or are we saying he's distinct because anime characters are, like, the same face with just different hairstyles? Uh, I mean, I'm saying both things. <laughs> like, I have a lot of trouble. Just, like, if you took if you took out hair from anime characters, even well-drawn anime characters, a lot of them, I feel like I would have a little trouble. Figuring out which one's which, but like especially in Buddha, I agree with you. I agree with you on that, Ellen. But um, and now you guys know how my face blindness feels in real life. Take away the hair, I'm so lost. Yeah, but uh, especially the the first volume of Buddha, I believe, is all all or mostly fictional. So that one is not going to be in the history books. But I also didn't know anything about Buddha. Um, and I found the way. Like I like Tezuka generally. Helen Egg doesn't seem that you have the same feelings. Um, like I, I liked the way that Tezuka was like able to uh, write this very long narrative of this very well-known person. Like he literally uh, has a religion still. Um, but there are a couple things that bother me about this. In the first volume, like I don't think I had it much, but like by the fourth or fifth volume, it was just like all over the place where Tezuka is breaking the fourth wall and doing a bunch of random silly things, and they were never enough to be annoying, but it was always like took me out of it in the moment. Didn't he have Buddha like invent blood transfusion or something at one point? <laughs> that was a thing, yeah. Okay, I was trying to remember if that was this series or a different one. <laughs> Yeah, my take on it is that I'm already, like, really hit or miss with, like, semi-real historical stories. 
like if it's straight up historical fiction, like these are fictional characters in a historical setting, that I'm totally cool with. But it's when we get to like Hollywood movie adaptations of an event that I usually end up side eyeing them since, you know, they always end up changing the story and sometimes making it like way less exciting. Um, and so I had that general feeling when I was um, reading Buddha, I remember. And especially since, like Corey, I don't know a ton about Buddha's life. So I was just sort of constantly on edge being like, is this real or is this not real? I'm going to assume the blood transfusion thing is not real. But <laughs> for a lot of other moments, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of this is uh, is like the way that Buddha affects people's lives. I think the, the general theme of both... Um, Buddha achieving not theme of Buddha achieving light, but like the storyline of Buddha achieving achieving enlightenment and also um, him spreading the thoughts of that enlightenment that like life is a huge circle um, like the circle of life and then um, like everything is connected. He he preaches through his teachings that you shouldn't kill another life because that life is uh, just as important as a human life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But like seeing him uh, spread his wisdom and having the that wisdom affect the people that he is spreading it to, which ranges from kings to slaves. Um, I think that's either mostly true or at least in the spirit of Buddha, and I think that's like probably what I'm going to remember about this manga in eight years. I'm disappointed to find out that the first volume <laughs> wasn't uh, wasn't uh, in any way factual. I was like, oh, I know stuff about Buddha now, but I don't still. <laughs> uh, but just with the the first volume that I read, the the first half, I don't know. I felt like it bounced around a little bit, and then the sort of blind face thing was happening, so I couldn't quite keep up with what was going on. And then in the second half, it feels like it hit sort of a stride, and I can follow along with this with the story so i don't know if if this particular volume i'm assuming is like an omnibus or, or at least it originally came out in smaller chunks so i'm glad that this first volume uh was like 400 pages because if it was just the first half that i read i don't think i would have kept reading it <laughs> speaking of bouncing around that's one thing about tezuka in general that i have a hard time with like you can tell here in buddha that he's trying really hard to write a serious story they just has like this uncontrollable urge to keep inserting comedy in certain places. <laughs> like um, the adaptation that Studio Mappa did of Dororo um, just last year. I'm a, as far as I know, that was like really, really changed from the manga. Not only in terms of like content and length, but also just more serious altogether. Just sort of they evened out the tone, and that's one and bleh, that. Jaggedness of tone is something that's definitely kept me from really enjoying Tezuka, since I'm all for people like um, Arakawa putting in funny gags and like a side panel in Full Metal Alchemist. But this was just too much. It was trying to be like too serious and then too silly, and it was like, control yourself, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why I, are you the god of manga? I do not understand <laughs> this. Twenty-year-old <laughs> Helen is very confused. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that take. Like, uh, there are a couple moments. One of them that sticks out was that uh, either a character was dying or extremely sick, and they call a doctor in, and the doctor is just drawn like Blackjack, which was extremely <laughs> jarring. I think I remember this, yeah. And it's like, that's not even Tezuka's star system. He's just putting his own freaking character in. Yeah, and there are a couple other moments, like when they call in another character, and he's like, wait, this is just Gosama Tezuka. And then it changes 
the drawing to a different looking character, or at least someone without the hat. <laughs> Obviously, I hadn't gotten that. <laughs> yeah, the first volume is relatively. Yeah, but he definitely does have that that urge to like break the fourth wall because I've seen that in pretty much every other Tezuka thing that I've read, and it mm, I don't really care for it very much either. I, like like you said, I didn't see it as much in the first volume, but it's definitely like a constant across um, his work. Yeah, Tezuka died when he was pretty young. He died when he was only 60, so he could theoretically have still lived to today if he hadn't just pushed himself so hard physically. And I really wonder what kind of later works we would have seen from him, since... We can all agree this is supposed to be a more serious work. Dororo maybe was. Um, I know one of his last series, Phoenix, was also supposed to be a more serious work. So I kind of wonder how his work would have kept evolving if he'd been around for another, like, 30 years at this point, since he died in 1989. Uh, I really think about that sometimes, especially since with him being dead, it feels like the start of manga was so long ago. But no, it was within my parents' lifetimes, at least, and they're... Okay, older than Tezuka wasn't when he died, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of wonder, you know, these ideas that we see here, what would he have been able to do with them if he'd been able to not overwork himself to death, basically? Yep. Yeah, like, I've... Speaking about Tezuka more broadly, I've read uh, probably a half dozen Tezuka things, and, like, I've liked, uh, I think, all of them. Um and, like, I've heard before that Vertical put out all the good ones, and then DMP was just, like, putting out all the weird or bad ones, uh, with the exception... But it's so hard to tell since DMP has, like, basically never fulfilled their Kickstarters of mm, them, so... Yeah. Uh, I believe there was one exception of DMPs, or maybe two, but, like, for the most part, Vertical released the good ones. And from the ones that I've read of Vertical, they are very good, or at least I can see, um, the kind of influence that they would have, like, the arc of storytelling in Buddha is uh, eight, eight volumes, uh, or eight very large volumes, and it covers uh, more than the entire life of, of Siddhartha, of Buddha, so um, like being able c- to contain all of that in a uh, semi-digestible way, well, I, I would call it digestible, um, at least after the first volume, uh, and like being able to see the connective tissue that it's weaving between like the Kapilavastu, which is where Buddha's from, to um, what is it called? The one that like took over Kapilavastu to the uh, kingdom. I believe it's like Magaga or something. That's uh, next to whatever the thing that I can't think of the name of is. Uh, and seeing the kings as they grow old and as they are taken over, often very violently by their children. Um, like that, those kinds of things are very... Yeah, and sometimes pioneers of new forms of media are kind of like that. Since I know that in response to a lot of Tezuka's works, that's where you get um, part of the Gekiga movement, people who wanted uh, stories to be maybe not so kid-friendly all the time. They wanted something dark, um, what we might think is more underground comics in this day and age. So yeah, um, sometimes you get people who look at a work and go, no, I want to do the exact opposite of this, and then they go off and doing it, and Tezuka had that effect on some people. Yep. Though I'm a little disappointed uh, about the character of Ananga after reading about him in St. Youngman. I thought he would be much more uh, servient to Buddha 
and that doesn't seem to be as much of the case because Ananga was a character who was uh, born of a promise between his parents and Mara to save his life, and he like lives the rest of his life with Buddha or part of the rest of his life with Buddha in uh, recompense for the people that he killed as part of a or as being part of a bandit, but. Uh, I guess saying you know, the thing to read about historical accuracies of Buddha. <laughs> I mean, I guess we should ask at this point, which Buddha do we prefer? Do we prefer Tezuka's Buddha or the St. Young Men Buddha? That's... I think I prefer the St. Young Men Buddha because he at least has a sense of humor. Yeah, the St. Yeah. Young Men Buddha and Jesus is the best uh, version Well, we weren't talking about Jesus here. We're only talking about Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, did you two have anything else on Buddha before we move along? I'm glad that I finally checked it out. It's one of those ones I'd always heard of, but um hadn't actually read so it it would probably be something i would at least pick up from the library just to read a little bit more of it but um yeah and i think Corey's right about this being out of print so i'm glad to hear there are digital copies of it at least and yeah your local library is going to be your best place for finding a bonanza of out of print manga um just like it was for me like 10 years ago (laughs) yep and i think booga is definitely worth reading um, as I scroll through Amazon, I see all of the, I believe, all of the paperback versions, uh, except maybe six. Uh, no, there's six. Okay. Uh, so I think I see all of the paperback versions for uh, the typical slightly reduced Amazon price. But, uh, yeah, just go to your library. I don't think this one is, for most people, I don't think it's going to be worth uh, buying. But I did end up really enjoying the series, and it, by the middle volumes, it like completely engrossed me in moments. Also, honestly, you're going to need a lot of shelf space for this one. Yep. <laughs> Eight 400-page volumes. Or just, like, 14 volumes, as you said. Yeah. But anyway, let's take a break. We'll talk about Beastars on the other side. Welcome back, everyone. And now for a very large shift in tone, we are going to be talking about um, Paro Itagaki's Beastars, which is a currently ongoing series published by Viz Media here in the U.S. It's set in a world where there's no humans, just anthropomorphic animals of all kinds of species. And our story is focused specifically on a boarding school for some of these animals. It's like a combined middle high school school it sounds like called Cherryton and we focus mostly on Legoshi a large gray wolf um, much like in the Disney movie Zootopia there's kind of a divide between carnivore and herbivore animals and so Legoshi as one of the biggest animals in the cast always feels a little conflicted about this and things have definitely come to a head recently as the story starts when one of the herbivore students on campus is brutally murdered by a carnivore, they don't know who, they think it's a student, but they don't know. And the student who was murdered, like Legoshi, is also a member of the school's drama club. And so a lot of the cast that we see here are connected to the drama club in some way or another. It's notable for having um, like carnivores and herbivores working together. It's sort of a model. But like any real-world drama club, like 
holy cow, everyone has attitude and personality in this club. Like, to the point where it is lampshaded in there that people were pretty much recruited for that. So I had a chance to read the first two volumes, and I've previously seen the anime. Have either of you guys seen the anime? It's been on Netflix for a couple of months now. Yes. Yeah, I've seen the anime. Okay, so we've all seen the anime. Did we all see it before we read the manga? Yep. Mm-hmm, I did. Okay. I was surprised at just how different in tone the manga is from the anime in some ways. The anime just struck me as kind of more brooding and a little more depressed, while the manga is just a little more cheerful. I feel like Legoshi like, talks a bit more in this, and he's a little more joking and playful. And so that really surprised me. Um, I think partially because in the first episode of the anime, they compress a couple of events, and so you get a couple of like really big moments all at once that are spread out more in the manga. And I think it was also the manga's art, which just feels a little more cuddly, although a little rougher as well. I, I feel like I, I know Itagaki was a pretty new mangaka when they started doing this. Also, in an unrelated note, her dad does the Baki manga, which is just very interesting. <laughs> I thought that was the best fun fact about Beastars. <laughs> and it's not actually even about Beastars. Yep. Though I agree with your take, Helen, uh, that you said on Twitter that Legoshi... Um, seems to be more talkative in the manga and like i like that about him uh mm-hmm. in this one because it's, it makes the manga seem much uh like well i am repeating what you said so i will stop that but yeah it seems much happier um but the, it, with the art of the manga compared to the anime i think for me the anime kind of creeped me out in like how human it looks because their hands don't really look like they're furry or anything so that was kind of weird. Uh, and it, it was too close to human in the anime, but with the manga, the art being much rougher, and I think it has more distinction between uh, a very human character and these animals that uh, are bipedal. Um, bipedal humanoids, I should say. Uh, and I like that a lot more about about the manga like i much prefer the manga art by the i read through three volumes now and i much prefer it by uh, by the end of the second second volume i think you saying that just reminds me that i saw somebody tweet on twitter when the beastars anime first came out they said that they were looking at the netflix warnings for it and said nudity and they were like it's just animals of course they're naked a little later on oh my god that bunny girl is naked I actually watched the first episode, first couple of episodes again of a friend of mine who was kind of interested in it, and I think she was put off because I tried to warn her. It was kind of horny in some ways. I don't think she took me seriously. <laughs> uh, definitely more in the anim- anime than the manga, but these are very much teenagers. They have drama with each other. They have romances. Some of them are ill-advised. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I also found it interesting that here in the manga, one of the main characters, or one of the big supporting characters, is Louis, who's this red deer. He's the president of the drama club, and he's got the attitude to match. And I found it interesting that here he comes off as, you know, someone with a big attitude and interesting in his own right. But I felt like the anime played up like any shipping potential he had with Legoshi. Like the animators were like, that's right, we know what you guys are doing. We're just going to like play this up with some framing and you know, suggestions here. Well, I definitely didn't get that vibe from the manga at all. I was looking for it. Did you all feel like they were a lot different from each other? I didn't really catch that vibe, I guess, that it was that the manga was more cheerful. I've only read a volume of it and it's it's less so that I just haven't gotten the other volumes and not a lack of interest. But I don't I don't know if I picked up on it being like more cheerful. I don't know. 
that was interesting to hear from you all. I mean, it's not like a super big difference. But of course, I was reading these thinking I need to read these manga and have enough thoughts about it to talk about on the podcast. <laughs> so just kind of reading it with a critical eye in some ways, I guess. Yeah, I think it's more like uh, it seems more expressive, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Ikigaki mentions like she has trouble drawing Louis um, because portraying his expressions through his face are the hardest. And I think... Um, the way that the anime was animating uh, made it seem like, or at least maybe this is that I the manga has recency bias, but it made it seem like the anime characters were much less expressive than the manga characters, and therefore when you see Lagoshi do anything, it seems just a little bit more amplified. Um, and not just that, he seems to be closer to some of the characters in this as well. Like, I forget what, is, what the smaller dog roommate that he has is, but he seems oh. to be, like, closer bugs with that guy in the, in the manga than in the anime. Oh, the good boy Jack, the Labrador? Yeah, that's his... Jack yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's a pretty good example. Now, yeah, I guess he, he does seem a little more talkative in the manga. I think the only thing that really stuck out to me or kind of was kind of about the the manga is like maybe it's more in the first chapter or so but the art took a little bit of getting used to and i had looked at this volume even even before the anime um and the art takes a little bit of getting used so i feel like it's less so in the later chapters just in this first volume but the the first chapter is like i don't i don't know about this we'll have to see (laughs) yeah i remember i tried out the first chapter before the anime came out since this was already publishing the manga, and they usually give, like, a one-chapter free preview on their website. And I was just like, what is going on here? Like, this is just weird, potentially upsetting, but I'm not sure enough, <laughs> Shell. It just looks weird. Like, everyone tells me this is about a murder that starts off, but, like, I don't know what's going on. So, yeah, this is one where I was glad that the anime pushed me into watching more of it. And they sort of, like, smoothed out that bit of a rocky intro. And yeah, just being able to read the whole first volume also smooths that out as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. The art took a bit to get used to, but once I got used to it, I really liked it. And I do, uh, completely unrelated, I do like the um, the power struggle that they're creating between the carnivores and the herbivores, like Zootopia. It is, uh, the herbivores live in this like constant fear of the carnivores, even though some of them are buddies with carnivores. Um, but especially with Tem, the uh, alpaca that was killed at the beginning of the series, um, just those tensions are heightened, and then we see things. Like, by the third volume, they go to the black market, where carnivores are able to eat herbivore meats. Um, so we see these uh, more carnal instincts kick in to the Beastars characters. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Like, I liked the little extra details at least that i saw in the first volume of like when they go to lunch and like the different lunches that they eat because they don't eat meat there and then this might have been like in the end notes where they talk about like the order that people walk in and how some animals like catch rides on i thought that was interesting mm-hmm. like the little details of the world i'd like i haven't read the other volumes but i'd like to see like more of that like what she did to build out the world Cause i did think that that was like really interesting yeah, I feel like in some ways Itagaki seems to have thought out more about how a world with many different species would work than Zootopia did. Like, Zootopia had a lot of flashy visuals, but Itagaki has done, like, the boring work, like we mentioned here. I know there's a 
mention at one point of some of the smaller creatures saying that they have to walk along the walls, otherwise they risk getting trampled by other students. I still have so many questions about how this all works. Like, at one point, Haru, um, who's this um, small dwarf rabbit, uh, she's confronted by another girl, another rabbit, and this other rabbit says, I'm an endangered species, and I'm like, how are you an endangered species? Are you guys like killing each other? Or <laughs> I'm like, I just don't understand that. I have yet to see that get explained. Yeah, not even in the anime. Maybe they're being hunting. Though a cute little uh, world building aspect is that they have different size doors as well for the uh, smaller oh, animals and the bigger cute. animals. Yeah. So, like you see. Well, there's the... also that note I think about the different size urinals or something. So oh yeah, different yeah. Different size toilets. Different size everything. Mm-hmm. Different size bathtubs. God only knows what the clothing stores look like. It's probably different brands for different sized animals. <laughs> it's definitely a fun world, even if it gets really dark and tense at times. Like, I think it was in the second volume. It's where the drama club is putting on a play for the new students. And there's um, some drama. I know I keep saying that, but it is truly the correct word going on there. And so, like, the ghostly gets into like a legitimate fight on stage. And it brings up all of these, you know, here's how carnivores should act. No, here's how carnivores should act. Deeper thoughts. And I'm just really interested in Itagaki's take on all of this. Like, the concept of what if animals replaced humans isn't a new one in fiction. Plenty of people have done it. But I just like how she's approached this story and how she's putting it all together. Uh, I'll admit, I think my favorite character from the anime, or at least the one I found the most interesting, was Haru who hasn't gotten as much um, page time in these two volumes I've read. But she was also just a really interesting take on um, vulnerability and fragility and protecting herself, both mm-hmm. as a herbivore and as a female, by um, in some ways becoming kind of a proactive sex worker, in some yeah. ways trying to diffuse situations like that. And I just thought that take on everything was really interesting. And I was thinking, yeah, a, a woman wrote this. I don't see a man having thought about some of these situations all the way through. Which is a little sexist to say, but I'm sorry, I just have not seen dudes write in quite that manner. <laughs> I mean, it could be sexist, but it's absolutely true. <laughs> uh-huh. And I like that she is, uh, Haru is, this uh, perfectly all-like rabbit. So the pristineness and uh, cleanliness, or at least the perception of those things, are coming through through her through just her appearance as well. And that's, uh, that seems to resonate with the male characters that are all high school hormony. Yeah, and I definitely empathized with her line, like, guys see me as small, so they think they need to protect me or help me. And I was like, yes, this reminds me of every single time a guy has asked to, like, help me carry something that I was carrying perfectly well on my own. <laughs> it's like, no, stop it. <laughs> so in that moment, I was like, I understand you, Haro. I understand you very well. <laughs> well, do you guys have any other closing thoughts on this? Uh, I had two copies to review. They were to read. They were shared review copies. But if my library ever opens back up and they have more volumes of this, I'd totally be down for reading more of it, even if I've watched the first anime season already. What about you guys? I like this one. The only reason I don't have more, more is I can't get to the store to buy the physical volumes. <laughs> um, and I have the first physical volume. But I really um, I really like the series, and I definitely think it's one that I will read all the way through. Yep. There's 18 volumes currently, so it's going to oh take God, a Oh, God, well, <laughs> I'll try anyway. It's ongoing, I guess. 
Uh, yeah, we have five volumes on Hangs. I will read the other two that I haven't read. Hangs uh, waits in anticipation for the rest. I remember you posting a picture recently of like your to-read pile, and it was like an entire bookshelf. Well, I posted the entire bookshelf, but that's like the hardcover bookshelf, and then the, the front part of the books are the to-read pile, and it is only uh, like, well, yeah, probably an entire bookshelf with the book books. Uh, wait, it's all right. I'll get through them eventually. So that should tell you something, folks, that we are interested in continuing to read it, even if some of us, self-included, have very, very big to-read piles. <laughs> and with that, I think we're done for this time around. Uh, if you guys want to follow us, you can obviously follow the podcast in a couple of different places, like Apple Podcasts. If you don't already follow us on Twitter, I am entire- not entirely sure how you found the show, honestly. Uh, but you can go follow us on Twitter, at Ears. And you can also find our episodes hosted on the Taiku podcast website, which is T-A-I-I-K-U, I think. Yep. T-A-I-I-K-U, um, because we are, in fact, a spinoff of a sports anime podcast. Don't ask. It's Corey's fault. Um, and if you want to go ahead and re- leave a review or rating for us on any of the sites where this podcast is posted, we are told that those things help. So go do them, maybe. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter at Wandering Dreamer. I also write for the OASG, which is where I've been posting quite a few light novel and manga reviews recently. Won't be doing B-Stars, though. Uh, Justin got that title, so I am off the hook for that. <laughs> what about you guys? You can find me on Twitter at Mondurin. I am still alive. I say it every episode, but you can find me there. Find me on Twitter at ImpassionateK, and I also occasionally do reviews at Phantom Post that I should do more frequently than occasionally. Um... <laughs> But also on the Taiku Podcast website, I updated it. So it says, uh, right under Taiku Podcast, mugging your ears, uh, sister podcast, blog, blog, description, and there should be a link right underneath that so you can get all of the mugging your ears episodes um, instead of looking at the chaos that is in front. In case anybody looks at the front page and goes, why is this all just like random musings on sports? Yes, that's how Corey starts every single podcast episode right up. Yep. Don't worry, you're in the right place. (laughs) (laughs) Well, until next time, folks. Bye. Bye.